Hi, everyone. We're back with another bonus episode of the CMO Podcast. This was recorded in front of 55 CMOs and aspiring CMOs at the Cannes Lion Festival. So it's a casual conversation. It's a very spontaneous conversation and a bit more raw than what we normally record. My guest on this bonus episode of the CMO Podcast is Tracy Staller, the Global Vice President of Experiential and the head of the in-house agency at AB InBev, the world's largest brewer. Leading brands from AB InBev include, of course, Budweiser and Bud Light, Corona, Stella Artois, Michelob Ultra, and a few hundred more. As I mentioned a minute ago, we recorded this conversation at the Canline International Festival of Creativity, where Tracy's company, AB InBev, was awarded the coveted 2022 Creative Marketer of the Year Award. We'll talk about this journey to Creative Marketer of the Year, and we'll talk about a lot more. This is my conversation with Tracy Stoller in front of an audience who really, really loves marketing, and boy, did they love her. So Tracy, thank you for being here. Her company at 3 o'clock is on stage in the big arena getting the big award. So your CMO and your CEO on the big stage later this afternoon, which is great. That's right. What is your favorite AB InBev beverage? Ooh, tough. Because every <laughs> occasion has a different beverage. Oh, we got a marketing lesson coming. It's the number one driver of choice in the category. Um, I would probably say uh, Crush, which is from a small brewery we own up in Oregon. And it's a lightly sour, a sessionable sour is what we would call it, um, in that you can drink several of them, but uh, it's also got a little flavor and tang to it. Daytime drinking, right? Daytime drinking, Okay, super. So tell us your job. What is your official title? My official title is uh, Global member of the team of consumer experiences and our internal agency, which we call Draftline. What do you love most about your job? I would say the people, uh, for sure. I mean, especially as we started the internal agency, it's just been the opportunity to interact with a lot of individuals who bring a very different perspective. They bring a very different experience. And I think when you come from a company that's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years old, like AB InBev, sometimes, you know, there can be a, a problem of groupthink that you have to work around. And, and so having, you know, that spark and, and that learning opportunity is great. How long have you been at AB InBev? 11 years. Wow. You joined at like 15? Thank you. Kind of <laughs> uh, no, I did. I joined out of college. Um, so not, not that um, far. 21, yeah. 21, 22, something like that. Um, and uh, kind of fell into marketing. I actually studied civil engineering as an undergraduate student. So my background is on the more technical side, although I think marketing now is also becoming more mm-hmm. technical. So, What do you think is your real strength as a leader? Some people call it a superpower. As a word we love to use in the company, what is your superpower? I mean, I think my superpower is engaging people. Um, at the end of the day, my leadership style that I try to emulate is, uh, you know, what some people will call servant leadership. Um, so really about how do you ask the right questions from the team? How do you ensure that they have the resources that they need? And how do you ensure that you're helping to clear the blocks uh, that they have in front of them? And what are you working on as a leader? Many things. Um, I think simplicity, right? Um, The more and more you move up in any organization, I think your ability to deliver a very compelling, a very simple, and very easy to understand message becomes really critical. We are a company of 160,000 individuals around the world. So, you know, being CEO of an organization like us is how do you drive simplicity across many, many different functions. One thing that's happened to you this week that was really notable or interesting 
or mind-blowing. Oh, I mentioned this to you earlier. Um, I uh, had the opportunity to listen to someone who is now the chair of serendipity uh, at NYU. Um, some of the people in the room, I think, had the opportunity to hear from him as well. But a really provoking 15 minutes on how randomly running into someone or having a specific conversation can translate to uh, amazing results and things that you never thought you'd be able to see. Uh, he has a book that's come out recently. I'm not selling it. I don't know the name of it. And to be very honest with you, I can't remember his name. But I will share it with Jim, and he can share it with all of you. <laughs> Excellent. Now, uh, I want to talk. You're Marketer of the Year in Cannes, which is congratulations. Just fantastic. So tell us, sort of, did you get a phone call or an email from Can Lion, just kind of how that happened and what did you all do when you got that call? Did you like break and have a drink? Did you go out? So tell us about that moment. So we, we got a call got from a call. Can um, that said, hey, you know, uh, we have some exciting news we'd like to share with you. Can we come down to the office and meet with you? And the CMO, you know, was, was very busy and was sort of like, oh, man, we got to meet with Can. Like, it's Can's a couple months away. Why do we need to have this conversation with them right now? But he says, okay, you know, we'll, we'll make time in the agenda. They came in. Um, they th he thought it was going to be a meeting about, uh, you know, plans, speaking engagements, whatever it was going to be. Um, and he shared that we were being awarded Creative Marketer of the Year this year, um, which was, you know, we almost fell off our chairs because it was an aspiration that we had set as an organization four years ago um, to come here and to be able to say that. And, and Eunice, who, who's here in the audience, was there when we, uh, we, we made that statement. And at the time that we said it, it was like, hey, isn't that a crazy pipe dream? Wouldn't that be weird if we suddenly managed to become Creative Marketer of the Year? Um, so it was a, a huge moment for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we got on a team call with all of the global marketing team around the world, uh, you know, two days later, it was a Friday. So we, it was a Monday when we notified the team. Um, and I think it was, it was a moment of celebration, but also a moment of reflection of all the work and the things that we did to get there. Um, at the end of the day, we are not a company um, that is motivated necessarily by winning awards. I think we are a company that is motivated by being a creative organization because we do believe that creativity translates to business results. But it is a way for us to benchmark a milestone sort of in our, our progression and our journey as an organization. Another little window into your culture. I interviewed Marcel, your, your global CMO, on Monday for my podcast. And I asked him, who are you looking forward to seeing this week? And this was Monday, starting Can Week. And he said, the 65 people we're bringing here who are my team, I haven't seen them for so long. I can't, it's, it's a celebration of their creativity. I just can't wait to see their faces, to talk to them, to give them a hug. And he said there were several people coming who had never traveled outside their country. So what a beautiful answer. I look for things like that to say everything about a culture. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I think it's very true. People at the end of the day is, is the business, right? I was in that seat that you were in when I got the call from Cannes that we were marketed the year when I was at P&G. And we had a fabulous celebration of our culture as you were having. And then I left the company. So are you going to do that? I don't have plans currently. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I want you to, uh, you talked about how you got the call and the celebration and uh, the recognition of the culture. But I want you to tell us a little bit more about your journey. You said you kind of declared four years ago that this was a goal. So unpack that for us. When you say that, what did you mean? What did you say? How did you start the journey? How did you know you were moving in the right direction? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I would first and foremost say that it was a journey that wasn't just about marketing. It was about us as a company and a culture overall. Um, for those of you who are familiar with us as an organization, um, we are traditionally a mergers and acquisitions company. I've been with the company for 11 years. We've completed two very large scale uh, mergers and acquisitions during that time. I was part of uh, one of the companies that had been very recently acquired before that. Um, and we got to a point where we understood that growing through mergers and acquisitions wasn't going to work anymore. Um, and we really need to focus on organic growth. And moving from being a company that understands how to buy a business, how to value a business, buy that business, and then find cost synergies and mm -hmm. cost opportunities into it, to an organization that's thinking about brand development and thinking about brand as our greatest asset is a huge shift. So the discussion on, on being Creative Marketer of the Year was one of the list of items of many things that we thought about across the business, even our colleagues in logistics and supply and procurement. Um, for us on the marketing side, I think there were really three core things that we did to kind of change uh, you know, our, our, our journey. The first thing was developing the right uh, routine and the right processes. Um, this is a little bit more of a traditional ABI thing, but you know, uh, we always have this expression where we say, you know, if you can't measure something, you can't improve it. Um, and one of the first things that we said is, hey, if we want to get more creative and we understand that creativity unlocks growth, then we've got to start measuring creativity. So we developed a scale from one to 10 hmm. that we use to rate all of our campaigns around the world. So it's a common language that we all use in the company. And we put targets on improving creativity. And creativity is, is also linked to, did this campaign perform? So it was very much about you know, the measurement as a foundational aspect of what we were doing. The next thing that we did was- Can you pause on that and tell yeah. us a bit more about that creativity scale? How did you design it? What was the criteria? We uh, benchmarked with a lot of external organizations. We talked with a lot of our agency partners. We talked with some other companies as well. Um, and we thought about what were the different elements and aspects, both from a business standpoint and also a consumer standpoint, that would signal to us that this was great work. And then we tested it. So we got in rooms. Uh, we have this process that we call brain trust. It's stolen from Pixar. So if you've ever read the book, uh, I don't remember the name. Yes, Creativity yeah, Inc. Thank yeah, you. It's good. Um, it's very good. But yeah. they talk a lot about the brain trust process that they use. We use that internally in our organization. And that's how we continuously refine our creative spectrum scale and how we define it and how we think about it. Um, but it's very much a, a common language for us. Number two, sorry. Number two, no. Number two was, uh, you know, how do you value creativity? And that's a big question, I think, for a lot of organizations. Um, to us, we said, hey, if we want to become a growth company, what we know is that we have to make creativity a skill that we have in the business. And that means two things. One, uh, we created the internal agency draft line because we said we're physically going to bring creative thinkers into our business. And it was a little bit scary for a lot of people because they said, ooh, creatives don't want to work for us. There are these like weird different people that have cool glasses and, you know, go to these, these awesome festivals and, you know, they won't want to come and work for a company like us. And we said, let's try it. Uh, and what we found was, you know, not only did bringing creativity into the business help us with ideas from those individuals, it actually helped a lot of our marketing team become more creative themselves. And that brings the second half of the point, which was we really focused on this idea of how do you democratize creativity. Um, we understand that there are people whose job title is creative, but at the end of the day, we had this belief that everybody in the company must be creative. 
And, and so when you start to drive a creative culture in your business, I think you can really unlock new opportunities. If you look at uh, the World Economic Forum every five years, they publish a list of the most important job skills that they see for the next five years. And this is industry agnostic, it's just general jobs. Within the top five right now is creativity. So what they're saying is creativity is not a marketing pursuit, it is not a brand pursuit, it is a people pursuit. Um, and that's the kind of culture change that, that we've tried to make in the business. So that was number two. Think about how to make creativity an advantage and an asset that you have as an organization. The third thing that we did was we redesigned um, our way of work to unlock creative ideas. Um, we are really fortunate that we operate and have people all over the world. And what's amazing about people is there are big differences between people in the world, but there are also a lot of similarities. And what we found during the pandemic like I'm sure many of you was, you know, we had to get rid of all the plans that we already had, um, put those in a drawer, put them in the trash can and restart because what consumers needed at that moment was very different. We started a process that we call ideas, we called at that time ideas for good, um, which was basically four very, very simple briefs. They were all consumer needs. And then what we did was we said, wow, this, this thing called Zoom is pretty cool. Uh, we got everyone in the marketing community on one call and we said four briefs. Go out, come back with ideas. You have, I think it was two weeks, right, Uni? Like the first one was very fast. Um, everyone comes back with a slew of ideas. Everybody gets to see those ideas. And then we picked, you know, okay, we, are, we think these are the seven top ideas. Um, we did those in multiple markets in the world. And so what we found was we were a lot more efficient because we could copy ideas quickly from market to market. But we were also a lot more effective because we had a huge variety and diversity of people who were talking and thinking about those ideas. Um, we continue that process today. We call it ideas for growth now. Um, and, and some of those growth ideas, obviously, we, we are also hoping um, are ideas for good. But uh, you know, another of the pieces of work in that, that reel um, on corona and fishing, which is Uni's work, so I want to give her a, a huge round of applause for the, the many awards she's received this week on it, um, came from you know an idea the Mexico team had. They brought it to that process. And I think nine other, 13 other countries, 10, 10 other countries in the world said, that's awesome. We're going to do it too. And so now we're doing it in 10 countries in the world. So increasing our impact. But, but that was kind of the third big shift and change that we made. Those are three high leverage areas of focus. So well done, and obviously you've had a great result. How did you share that across the company? I assume you shared it outside marketing, and how, what was the visibility of those three areas throughout the company? Yeah, that was a really important part. The CEO was actually involved um, in a lot of that because uh, the ideas that came out of that were not just brand ideas. In fact, many of them in the first year were unbranded. Um, so you know, the initiative, Tienda Circa, that was in that, that video, didn't have a brand on it. It was about a very simple truth that our customers, these small store owners, were struggling to have income to feed their families, period. And our consumers were struggling to find ways to get goods during a, a pandemic. And we said, wow. It started literally from a piece of paper. Um, a guy, one of the sales reps, he wrote the name and the WhatsApp number of one of the guys that owned one of the small stores and posted it in the neighborhood as a sales rep. He just said, this is a nice thing for us to do. Um, and we said, okay, what if we, we could put that in an app. We could digitize that. Um, so the app was literally just people's names and their WhatsApp number and their store. And then consumers were able to go into it, text the store owner, say, this is what we need to order. Um, and, and this is the goods that we need. And it wasn't just beer. It was many, many other products um, that, that people needed in that moment. Um, but it was unbranded. It wasn't about us. It was about doing the right thing in the community at that moment. 
You form this internal agency which you oversee, draft line. Draft line. What do they work on? What do you decide what they do and what others do? Many things. So when we created Draftline, and I, I think the name is very important because it speaks a little bit to the mission of where we're trying to go, which is, you know, certainly draft is a fun play on beer and we mm -hmm. all love draft beer, but it also talks about the unfinished state that we feel we are always in as a team, right? We are always on the next version, but there is an upcoming version because consumers are always changing and evolving. So we need to keep pace with where that's going. When we started Draftline, we said, ah, we kind of have four core problems that we need to work on. First, we don't understand people well enough. Um, we weren't doing enough in terms of audience understanding, and we weren't doing enough in terms of cultural understanding. The second thing that we said was, hey, we see content and media coming much, much closer together, and it's really hard, and you'll know this, Jim, I mean, when you have hundreds of brands, you're never gonna have one creative agency yeah. and one media agency that are together at, joined at the hip, right? So we needed a connecting glue within the company to be able to kind of break that down. And then the third thing that we said was, you know, going back to the point is like creativity has to be part of the business. We got to bring creativity into the business. And the fourth thing that we said was we see the world of marketing evolving um, and the, the profiles and the people that we need have a different skill set than what we needed before. And so we need a way of bringing that kind of talent into the organization, fostering them and growing them. Um, so the focus is really on delivering work that is focused on strong consumer understanding, that is focused on connecting this idea of, you know, understand, engage, um, and, and measure and creative together, um, and creating sort of an ecosystem for our brands to live in. You talked about these three areas of focus. Your company is famous for its financial acumen, its operational excellence. How do you manage the duality in the culture? Now, this, this initiative you've done on creativity is very impressive, so that is certainly a way to uh, make a strong statement. This is going to be a, comp you, you want this to be a competitive advantage, right? But you haven't lost those other skills of operation. So any insights for everyone here about how you and your team and everyone manages that duality? Yeah, I think we don't see it as a duality. Weirdly, in some ways, we think that we've applied the core of who we are as an organization into another functional area and another pursuit. We treat creativity as a business problem that we need to solve for. Um, and so we think about it in a very similar way. We had a PMO structure for how are we going to become more creative as an organization. We had a dashboard that measured all of the key things that we felt were going to drive creativity for us as a business. Um, and I think what we see in marketing is you need to find a way for that duality to coexist. You know, I'm an engineer by trade. I, I always feel like an imposter in the marketing world because I'm not a creative and I, I usually start all great ideas um, with that sentence. But, uh, but I think it's about finding, finding balance. Um, and then I think the other thing is recognizing that diversity of skills is a good thing. And we have to encourage that. And we have to figure out ways and processes that allow for those two things and and people who are on different ends of different spectrums to coexist together. So that's, that's really what we're trying to do. I hear you place emphasis on four things in AB InBev marketing. Celebration, purpose, localization, and agility. So which of those are really on overdrive right now? Oof. Well, I think this week it might be a little bit more on celebration yeah, yeah, um, for, right, for the obvious right. reason, uh, uh, you know, um, um, today. But I, I think um, in the world that we live in right now, like agility is no longer agile. 
um, right? Like it is about the way that humans live and it's about the way that our world evolves. Um, and so we're constantly thinking about how can we test and learn better? How And, and learning, I would say, is actually the one maybe that, that we don't talk publicly enough, mm-hmm. but is a huge part of who we are as an organization. People that tend to thrive at our company are ones who just have a huge passion for learning. Um, and that, that really helps drive us forward. Which one is toughest to operationalize of those? I think everything is hard to operationalize because you're trying to do it all simultaneously. Yeah. Um, and, and I think uh, if you try to do something in a silo, um, that's when things break apart a little bit. But I would say all of them together is the hard part. And here's the really hard question. You're going to hate this one. Which brand in your big portfolio is really a beacon for everything you're talking about? It's <sighs> sort of one that internally you look up to. You say this brand is really our vanguard. It's like breaking new ground on the areas of creativity that you're focusing on. I'm going to say this, and I'm, I truly am not biased by the individuals from my company in the room, but I really do think that Corona is doing a great job as a brand. Um, and it is driven by, yes, the team in Mexico, which is was just Corona's homeland, but I think equally driven by the teams that we have around the world. Um, they're a very collaborative team, um, and they're also a very simplistic team. Um, the brand positioning, and, and Uni, please chime in, uh, the brand positioning of Corona has been very simple and easy for consumers to understand. You know, I bet if I asked everyone in this room to describe Corona in two words, they could do it right off the bat. Um, and that is not an easy thing to do as One a marketer. Word. You will all understand that. Um, but, but I think they've done an amazing job of that. And they're pushing the, the needle in terms of, you know, what, what, what can the brand do? We should, you should have the microphone because I want to hear what, and we should get, get them out because we're going to do Q&A in a minute. Um, you're an amazing speaker, man. <laughs> We're going to talk about that so too. Eloquent, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, the end of the of the brain trust and the creative spectrum is Creative X. We have an award ceremony at the end of the year in which we reward the best creativity within the organization, and it goes to that because the Corona Global Team was a winner for Creative X this year, and it means that we were, in spite of Corona being the core brand in Mexico and being a super premium brand globally. Um, we found that sustainability is what keeps us uh, like having something in common. Mm-hmm. And so we go for that. Like we have the natural bar, bar this year competing. We have Corona Sombru. We have the plastic fishing tournament with went global. Uh, but we have been working so much on that. So it's, the, it's not just like Corona. It's not a, mix, a, a country that won. It's a global team that won with one brand in, in the center. So I think it goes to that. Mm-hmm. What is it about your culture that is so dynamic and that makes it a beacon for others? The 10 principles, I would say. Like the principles that we have. It doesn't matter where you are in Europe or Korea or Mexico or Argentina or Canada. It's like it's the the one thing that we share. And it doesn't matter. It, it, It goes across like national culture. Uh, like even though if I'm, I'm Mexican, but she is American, and we meet with a Korean team, it's like we are a country of our own. It's 130,000 people, so we have a. It's like a country of our own, and wherever we go, uh, we have that in common, and we have we are big dreamers, we're big deliverers. So I, I think. Yeah. All right. One question before I throw it out to our wonderful group of marketers. You're a really good communicator. Thank you. Where did that come from? Is it something your parents reinforced, or something you studied, or it's been natural? I think neither. Um, I think I, uh, 
I like to talk to people. I like people. Um, I like interacting with individuals. And um, I think through conversation, you study, you learn, you see behaviors from other people, and, and you start to emulate them. Uh, you know, when Angela Earnhardt spoke uh, this weekend, one thing I noticed that she did very well is she pauses every time before she answers. And you can, it, it gives you this sense and this feeling of it's very intentional what she's saying, right? Um, and that's something I've been thinking about for the last couple of days is, you know, patience to, to communicate sometimes is a virtue. So I think it's about being out in the world and learning. For those who maybe are not as confident in their communication, what are your tips? I think it's one, uh, knowing what you want to talk about. Um, so a pet peeve of mine is people who talk just to talk. Um, I think we all know someone like that. Um, so, so know first and foremost uh, what your, your point of view is. Um, and then I, I think the second thing is, um, you know, and I'll, I'll bring it a little bit to, uh, uh, to corporate world, which is uh, someone told me this once and it really stuck with me, which is the meeting never happens in the meeting. Um, so a lot of times it's about knowing and understanding um, how to talk with people and, and in advance of it and understand what are they bringing into the room, what are their thoughts and ideas. And, and some people might think, oh, that's politicking, but I really see it as a way of, of having a good understanding of, of the, the room and the decision making that you're walking into. Okay, it's not the last question. I have one more before I open it up. You are a very successful senior woman executive at AB InBev. It is, has been a pretty masculine culture, and I think a lot of beer companies are. How have you managed that? How have you navigated that? Because you've obviously you're happy, you're, you're fulfilled, you can talk about your company very naturally. So how have you managed that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we are inconsistently changing times. My goal has always been to, to be part of the change and to be supportive of others. Um, I think there's a couple, uh, you know, probably three things um, that I've, I've kind of focused on. Um, the first one is thinking about, you know, bringing people around you who are confident in you when you're not confident in yourself. Um, and that is something that I think a lot of people look at leaders and they say, oh my gosh, like they're always so confident. They always know what they're doing. It's like, that's not true. You know, the further up you move in any organization, it's the lonelier it actually gets. Um, and there have been moments, um, certainly, where, you know, I uh, was asked to speak at, you know, a large uh, event or something with, you know, very important people. And, and there have been people in the company who have said to me, oh, that's so smart that they're, they picked you to do it because you're, you're going to be the only woman from the company that's going to speak. And that is, that's a tough message to hear. Um, and so I think it's also about having resilience as a woman um, and as anyone um, that, that is seen as, as different or is seen as maybe stands out from the crowd. Because if you can use those moments to leverage, to create real change and say, man, I'm going to go into that meeting and I'm going to get something amazing out of it. And I'm going to you know, further my agenda and my team's agenda. And you can flip it. That's, that's a big shift. I think the other thing is... Um, you know, there is momentum uh, in any organization. Um, sometimes we call it culture. I call some aspects culture and some aspects momentum. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that you have to make a decision about whether you want to be part of the momentum or whether you want to be part of driving your own, uh, your own path and your own values and your beliefs. I, I remember a conversation I had with someone at one point in the organization, and I, I actually don't think this was about like you know female empowerment in the company. It was about something else. And I said, you know, I'm really upset that the company is doing this. I'm really upset, you know, that we're making these decisions. And the person stops me and they said, well, "Who do you think the company is?" He said, "The company is you." 
And so I think if you take that mindset and that approach to anything and you realize that a lot of times you have more power than you realize. Um, and so that's, that's always been a focus of mine is think about how I can utilize the power that I have um, to, uh, you know, to bring things forward. And then I think the last thing that I would say is it's about knowing who's in the decision room, right? Um, and I think rightfully so, there's a lot of emphasis on women helping women. Um, and I am a big, big believer in being an advocate for, you know, an advocate, a shoulder, a discussion, whatever it is that someone needs um, to help them move forward. But I also have a lot of mentors in the company who are men. Um, and that has helped me in my career because a lot of those individuals were the people that were in the decision-making room when mm -hmm. we said, who are we going to promote and who are we going to move forward? Um, so I think it's about understanding, you know, who's in the room as well. Tracy, thank you. We're now going to open it up to the cool. participants for questions, and they haven't been shy. <laughs> thank we'll you. try to answer all of yeah. them. Thank yeah. you. Hi, Tracy. Congratulations for the being the marketer of the year. Thank you. Um, first time I hear the story about how you've been growing by acquisition and not by brand building and how you've made the, the cultural shift. And um, this was one of the topics that we've been talking about a lot. How could you make this cultural change? So my question to you, how did you drive such a big cultural shift in the organization and people's mind? How did you bring people on board especially those who are not marketing focused like in, in finance or in operations or in different functions. How did you make that culture shift? Yeah, I think it comes down to understanding how to communicate well, right? Any presentation or any discussion, you have to understand who you're speaking to. So when I'm talking to the CFO, um, I am saying, hey, Fernando, here's a chart that shows based on like the creativity of an organization, what their result has been on the stock market. And the two of them are correlated. Now are you convinced that we need to take creativity more seriously, right? Um, and then when I go and I talk to our procurement colleagues, I say, okay, team, like, I want to show you the different performance that we've had working with different agencies, right? And this agency is delivering better results. So when we think about going to the table and negotiating with them, we need to have that in mind. And by the way, I'd also like to start compensating the agencies based on their results and creativity. So you start to bring everyone on board when they understand their role in playing in that creative transformation. Um, this has been fascinating. I'm so proud of my friend over here. Um, <laughs> I have a question about your definition of creativity. As yeah. an engineer, I, I think that, that that's incredibly creative, maybe not artistic. Can you talk more about how you define it as a team? Yes, this is not my original definition, and I encourage all of you to go on YouTube and look this up. Um, but the best TED Talk I have ever seen in my life, um, I will remember his name momentarily. Um, I'm, not, I'm not great with names. Um, he talks about how basically the uh, creative revolution came to be in Europe. So when did this flourishing of great writing and the great enlightenment and all of this come to be? And he says, if you look at it, it's directly correlated to the point when they started opening coffee shops. Hmm. Why coffee shops? Well, he says, you know, because that was the first time that people from different walks of life were able to get together and sit at the same table, and they were able to share and discuss ideas. And so the way he thinks about creativity and the way I've always thought about creativity is it's not about originality. I think that's a misnomer, and that's something that scares a lot of people from being creative is they say, oh, it's originality. I have to come up with something that no one's ever done before, no one's ever said before, no one's ever seen. It's not really about that. It's about taking two dissimilar ideas that maybe someone didn't think about putting together and putting those together. 
And so when we talk about why is learning so important and why is learning so coupled with creativity, it's because, you know, you see something from a different industry or you see something from a different part of your life and you're able to link that to a problem that you're currently working on solving or you're able, and, and that's really creativity in my book is, is how you think about bringing together different ideas. Yeah, um, we try to define, uh, it's the same question everybody knows, <laughs> which is the right formula to be a strong, uh, you know, CMO. We need to think uh, marketer and act like a creative, or we need to think like creative and act like a marketer. Ooh, I think um, he's writing a book with this title. Yeah, so. okay. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess this question has come up a lot, but I, I, I noticed you, you didn't bring, you said just creative and marketer. Um, I think there's been a lot of discussion around commercial, and I've certainly heard this week some people's fear, actually, that the CMO role is becoming too financial-focused and mm. too P&L-focused, and we're losing, quote-unquote, creativity. Honestly, I think being a great CMO or a great growth leader in general is about being a great leader, because that's the one word that is similar through all of those things. Um, and I think you have to be authentic and genuine to who you are. Um, and everyone has a different balance, right? Um, and when we think about diversity, and this is true, when we hire people into the company, one of the things that we look at is who are the other people on the team that they're going to be joining? Because we say, how am I going to complement? Uh, how will this person complement the other people on that team? Because our goal is to build a strong set of skills as a team. So I'll tell you right now, for example, I'm very bad at like detailed project management things, execution. That and you're kind an of engineer. Stuff. And I'm an engineer. It's very weird. I know. <laughs> um, I, problem solving, I got you. But like then, you know, figuring out how to put the, I'm the person who has booked a flight on the wrong day at the wrong airport. <laughs> That's me. Um, but, but I know that about myself, right? Um, and so I work very hard to ensure that there are people on my team who are good at those things because I recognize that they're important skills. So I don't think we need to pick. I think we need to find balance and we need to do it through an approach with team. I have a question. You are evaluating agencies on creativity in terms of how you, part of your criteria for bringing on an agency. How do you do that? You look at awards, you look at their past work, you look at the brands they're working with and how they're growing. We look at the people on the team. Um, so this is probably a, you know, a non-branded answer, but at the end of the day, I believe any agency is as good as the people that are on the, on the team, on the account that you're working on. So that's why being a great client is really important. Good people want to work with good people. Um, I think uh, we, we use our own internal scoring systems, right? So we're looking at creative spectrum scores between different agencies and saying, like, who's done what quality of work. Um, and then we're also looking at brand results, right? Because at the end of the day, we are also compensating our marketing team based on, you know, how is the brand delivering? How is the brand growing? Um, and our philosophy, especially with external partners, is we would never ask someone to carry, um, you know, an obligation or a goal that we would not ask someone in our own company to carry. Um, and that's a very important philosophy for us. What is your favorite beer drinking occasion? Do you, oh, do you drink beer? I should ask that first. I do. You do drink beer, okay. I do. So what's your favorite beer drinking occasion? Ooh, um, I would say on a boat. I just really like being on boats. I uh, was a swimmer growing up. It's a California thing, you know. Um, and, and drinking on a boat is just such a lovely experience. Although, please do not drive the boat while you are drinking. Right. Legal wants to make sure that I say that. Um, how about you, Jim? What's your favorite beer drinking occasion? Oh, you're throwing it back at me. 
Oh my gosh, I, I had a really nice time with my son. We, had, we get so little time like this. He was in town for his wife's baby shower, my daughter-in-law, and we went downtown to a trendy neighborhood in Cincinnati, and we went up on a rooftop deck, and we sat at the bar on a warm summer evening, looking out over the cityscape, having a cold beer and chatting. So I'd like to recreate that again. I love that. Um, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we talked about a future with more cheers. And um, one of the reasons that, that we chose that as our company purpose is the idea that, you know, I think loneliness is the third largest epidemic, if you will, in the world today. Um, and that, you know, we believe our role in society is about creating moments like that and memories like that. Um, and hopefully bringing people that are, don't always talk to each other together to talk more. So, so I love that. So any other questions before we let Tracy either join us for lunch? Oh, this is Cesare from HP. Cool. Indigo. Hey, thank you. Just a quick question. Um, you talked about your definition of creativity, these two difference or two opposites. Can you elaborate what do you think are the two, three tenants that help leaders make teams more creative or go more into that direction, into that mindset? What, what do you think are the top two, three enablers? I think it's first and foremost about creating an environment where you can fail in a small way. Um, failure in a big way, not a great thing to encourage in a company. Um, but failure in a small way is an amazing thing, and it's transformative. So a lot of times when we start an idea, we'll go, oh, maybe it's going to be good, maybe it's not. Like, let's just put a little money there, and let's see what happens, right? And then we see. And if it works, we scale it. So I think giving people the confidence and the ability to know that it's okay to fail if done in a smart way and that they're gonna learn something from it is really, really important. I think the second thing is encouraging uh, encouraging them to talk and interact with other people. Um, the, the number one pet peeve that I have in organizations is when you see them all spending all of their time together. It's like, guys, like, you're not gonna learn and grow as a team uh, if you're not interacting with people out in the world, right? So that's where you get the, you know, the serendipitous moments that happen where, where something is unlocked and, and done in a different way. And then I think the third thing is um, really thinking about how to give people um, almost like, like a bravery, right? Um, it's it's the, the bravery to be able to dive into something. It's the bravery to be able to say something in a meeting that you didn't think you were going to be able to say or uh, share an idea that maybe sounds crazy. Um, and I think that's that's really important. Okay, you're getting the award tonight at the big show. We'll all be there when we're going to make a lot of noise when you get that award. We appreciate it. So are you are you being creative in how you're celebrating after you get the award tonight? Um, we are having a small event after we get the award. Jim, you may be on the invite list, oh, but if I? you're not, I, I don't know. double check. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, That's not where I was going, but thank you. Um, <laughs> No, uh, uh, we will be celebrating. Um, I think it's important to celebrate as well as work hard. So it's all about a good balance between those things. And good um, values, right? We might be wearing matching shoes tonight as well. Oh, I like that. These are spoilers. These are not I, them. Although I would love it if everyone in the company showed up in white cowboy boots. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. I didn't want to wear them and pre-spoil the surprise. Um, so, so yes, that will also be part of it. So post those shoes tonight. We, we're all curious now. We will. We will. Unless they're on stage tonight, maybe. They yeah, might be. They might be. Okay, good. Super. Tracy, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you awesome. all so much. That was my conversation with Tracy Stollard. One takeaway from this one for your business brand and life, have an ambitious goal. 
Tracy went through in quite a lot of detail how they at AB InBev decided they wanted to be Marketer of the Year, and they put together a multi-year plan to achieve that. It all began with an ambitious goal. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.